Father in heaven, uh, we pray today that you will send your spirit to speak to us, that we will understand our times, that we will be more open to your spirit than maybe we are to some of the other things, some of the other forces in our lives. Help us, Lord, as we enter this interesting time in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is the, the short little description that, that kicks off a very significant passage where Jesus tells three parables, three stories, very memorable stories, very meaningful stories, and we've spent time on each of them this, the beginning of this year. The first about the lost sheep, the second about the lost coin, and then the third we typically call it about the prodigal son. But as we really reflected on these stories in the context of these two verses, we realized together that, yes, yeah, powerful as that lost sheep story is, this passage isn't really about the lost sheep. As powerful as that lost coin imagery is, it's not really about that. As powerful a redemption story as the prodigal son is, it's even not exactly about that either. The story is about the older brother. The point of it all is about the older brothers because that's what the Pharisees are being at the beginning. They're like, why are you wasting time on these ones that aren't worthy? It isn't easy to be the church. Life on the farm can be difficult. Now, why do I call it a farm? Well, it's the language of that whole prodigal son story. It's it's a farm setting, an, an agricultural setting where the father lives and, and the younger son wants to leave and he moves to the city only to lose everything and come back. The older brother stays faithful. He stays on the farm. He keeps working. It isn't easy. Life on the farm can be difficult. The problem when older brothers welcome those lost ones back, Sometimes the lost ones, after they get back on the farm, they want to change things. They monkey around with the operation. They start wanting to grow new crops. What right do they have? I mean, seriously, they're the ones that left. They lost their right to the farm. The whole farm now belongs to the older brother. What right do they have to come back and make suggestions? But here's the problem. Sometimes the lost ones are right. And what they want to do will, in fact, make the farm better. Will make the farm not just a place for older brothers to live and to work and to survive. You remember, we've been talking about purposes of the church. One of the purposes of the church is to help the found stay found. So there's nothing wrong with the church having things that make it nice for older brothers to live and to work and to survive, but sometimes the, the lost ones, the found ones, suggest that we do some things that might make it a better place where the lost things are found. And that's one of the other purposes of the church, isn't it? To join Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. Often it's not the older brothers who know how to do that best. 
Now, what I'm telling you is clear enough in theory, but in practice, this gets tricky. The core problem is this. There are good reasons behind why the older brothers run the farm the way they do, even if they can't remember the reasons. Right? Because that's how things get established, right? There's a situation. It gets addressed. We come up with a solution, and we propagate that solution on down through time because it took care of the problem. Now, sometimes we lose track of the problem, but that doesn't mean we don't keep doing it, right? Because it's always worked for us. In really any setting, most of the practices that we engage in today are the product of a successful innovation in days gone by, even if we've lost track of the cause. Why is that? Well, because the stuff that didn't work, we quit doing, right? So if there's anything we're doing, it's because at one point it worked really well. But what we're not always clear on is, are things still the same way they were? But even as we go down that road, that raises the issue with older brothers. Why would we ever want to depart from the tried and true for something that we're not even sure if it'll work? The father in the story of the prodigal son responds to his older son with these words. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So, okay, let's try to be gracious older brothers. Maybe we can make peace with letting the younger brother come home, but only under strict terms and conditions. I mean, he's the one that left and forfeited everything. So I'm proposing to you here today what I believe are reasonable terms for the return of younger brothers and any other lost things. So here we go. Are you ready? Here are the terms for return. Number one, recognize you are not as good as us since we stayed and did what we were supposed to do and you left and didn't. That seems fair. It's true. Number two, don't try to change the way we do things here on the farm because what we're doing is what works for us. That's fair. Number three, when you can learn to do things the right way, maybe we'll let you be involved. It's very reasonable. It's also very unhealthy, but it's very reasonable. It's not right for a church, is it? It's not really what Jesus does with us, is it? But what are we supposed to do? Because... It is possible that if we listen to the wrong voices, we can destroy the farm, right? It can be destroyed. And so often those new voices, those innovative voices, those voices calling for change, so often they are wrong. And all that happens is that we cause needless trouble and costly disruption. So much easier to just stay with what we know. Now, I've told you before, despite being prone to be, to be a lost sheep, I am by nature conservative. In general, I do not like change at all. I'm slow to adopt new ideas and new technologies, and I'm often highly suspicious of anybody who encourages me to do so. To me, it feels like you're pushing. 
And you know what I do when you push? Hmm, yeah. Nope, not doing it for sure now. There's this voice that comes up inside of me that says, that's not how we do it on this farm. Sometimes I dig in my heels. And you know what? Sometimes when I dig in my heels, I'm right. I love it when that happens. But sometimes, all too often, I'm wrong. I hate when that happens. The problem is I can never tell for sure beforehand if I'm right or wrong. Isn't that the problem? Such is the challenge of integrating lost things back onto the farm. And let me just expand this concept a bit. Such is the challenge of integrating new things onto the farm. And in a sense, this might just be a bigger challenge for us right now than integrating lost things. For you see, I think we are right now attracting a lot more new things than we are at this point attracting more lost things. But new things, it turns out, can be an even bigger threat to the older brothers in the farm that they love than lost things are a threat. Such was the situation in the days of Stephen the deacon. You remember the story of Stephen back in the book of Acts, the early church days? He got chosen as one of the seven deacons to help solve the problems, but the Spirit came on him and he became very powerful and he was speaking great truths and he was refuting uh, the Jewish synagogue people and, and so they grabbed him and they brought him in. I read about Stephen recently in my Bible reading plan. Now, I just want to make an aside here. I hope you have some sort of systematic Bible reading process that you're doing each day. One year, we're going to push this. It may be next year, but one of these years, we're really going to push this and encourage you to have some sort of a process where you're reading your Bible every day. It's a transformational experience. So I have a process I've been using for a lot of years now, and it involves Old Testament reading once in the year and twice through the New Testament, and then there's a journaling part of it. So I have different journals I've used, but I have a brand new journal that I just started using this year. There it is. Pretty awesome, right? It was given to me by my good friend, Nicole, who's usually at this service, but I don't see her today. No, I don't see her today. All right, she gave this to me after the last series because you remember the series in the fall? It was Faith, Hope, and Love. That's what it says on the front, Faith, Hope, and Love. She brought it up to me and gave it to me. So, so this is my journal for the first part of this year. Um, but as I, was, as I was going along, I came to this story of Stephen. So this is what I wrote on January 31, 2019. Now, I'm going to read you the text first. And then I will read you my reflection that morning. So this is Stephen talking to the Sanhedrin. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So that was his words. All right, so here's my reflection. Times of transformation are times of great stress. There are two primary dangers. The first is resisting the Holy Spirit. The second is unfaithfulness and compromise. The challenge is to know in the live moment which danger is present. 
It is not always right to just embrace the new. Time has never been the friend of fidelity and faithfulness, and every movement of God has over time come off the rails. Yet it isn't just on the side of sinful excess that faithfulness is derailed. Rigid legalism is as great a danger as rampant license, and in some ways harder to address. Stephen is addressing the older brothers with the truth about their troubled history, and his reward is death. So what is faithfulness in our day? And what exactly is our day? Whose day is it? So I take the question I ask myself and I bring it to you. So, older brothers of Forest Lake Church, whose day is it? Is this the last days of the remaining faithful ones? Are these the days of stiff-necked resistors of the Holy Spirit? Is it neither? Is it both? Is it our day? Is it theirs de- their day? Whose day is it? Here's the thing. It is so much easier to honor the proven genius and the proven righteousness of the things in the past than it is to embrace the moving of God in the present. Imagine how hard it would be for us to accept Ellen White if she had arisen in our day. Ironically, it might well be that her most ardent modern-day adherents, had they actually lived when she did, might have been her most strident opponents. And the Bible, we love the Bible. And look to it as our one true final authority on all issues related to the faith. But can you imagine the stress if we were the ones who had to decide which books belonged in the Bible and which did not? You know, there was a a council that decided that. You want to know something else about that council? They also decided some other stuff at that council we reject. It's easy to honor the past. Are we sufficiently in tune with the Holy Spirit to see the work of God in our day? I'm always given pause by these words of Jesus to the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding, uh, shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. And by that, Jesus meant, go ahead and kill me, just like your fathers killed the prophets before. He who has an ear, let him hear. That's what Jesus would say. Sadly, the scribes and the Pharisees did not recognize the truth for their time. Are we able to recognize the truth for our time? So what is the point of this message today? Transition times are very difficult, especially for the faithful. For it requires openness and adherence to more than just settled truth and settled tradition. 
So here's the point. We at the Forest Lake Church are living in a transition time. We might wish it was otherwise. We might wish it was 30 years ago. But it doesn't matter what we wish. We are living in a transition time. Why do I say that? Well, I gave you some of this data last week. Over the last eight years, 190 of our members have passed away. That's more than will show up at a lot of Adventist churches in this country today. That's a lot. In that same nine-year span, 955 of our members transferred out, and 1,018 new people came in. Those are big numbers. But that's not the only reason I say this. Come August, we will open our new lobby and our new children's wing facilities. New facilities that will transform how we experience church. You cannot add that kind of a reality to this campus and not transform the experience somehow. Further, We're in the midst of, and in fact, at the latter end of a generational shift in church lay leadership. When I arrived here eight years ago, pretty much every key lay leader in this community was older than me. Today, as I stand before you, nearly all of them are younger than me. That's eight years. And we are in the midst of a generational shift in pastoral leadership from incredibly long-tenured pastors who have been here 20 years or more, who all happen to be older than me, to a new set of pastors, relative newbies, if you will, who are all younger than me. You put all of these things together and you can't deny we are in a transitional time. So what comes next? What do we do? Do we double down on who we've been and make sure all the new ones learn to do the things the way we always did them? Do we abandon ship because of the crazy notions these younger leaders have? Do we do neither? Do we do both? Maybe what we really need at this point is a review. Does any of this sound familiar? And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. To find our way forward, I believe we must start with love for one another. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Above all, above what? Above all? Really? Above all, love each other a little bit. Is that what it says? No. Before you get anything else right, love each other deeply. Wow. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Guess what that means? That means the people you're going to be loving are going to mess up. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do stuff that would make you angry if you were easily angered. But it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, I guess we have to. No, wrong spirit. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This little short passage here, this is what love on the farm looks like. We will have to work together to bring in the new day that the Lord is leading us towards. What's it going to take for us to work together? James has a suggestion. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, it happens in the church a lot. Something happens you don't like, and you start making up reasons for why that happened. And those reasons about those people is pretty ugly, aren't they? And we get mad really fast. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So here's the deal. And in truth, I'm literally talking to the older brothers. And when I say older brothers, I mean anybody my age or older. You don't have to raise your hand, but I was born in 1965, so you know who you are. All right? Plain and simple, the next generations are not like us. They haven't grown up in the world we knew. World wars, what are those? Cold war? Did it used to be colder? Vietnam? I don't even know where that is. 
You know what their world is? Terrorism, school shootings, random violence. That's their world. We learned to type in academy on a typewriter. Remember that? I'm young enough that mine was actually electric. Right? How many of you learned on a manual? Yeah, you really had to pound that baby, didn't you? Yeah, I was lucky. Mine was an electric. An IBM Selectric. Yeah, those were great. They learn to type in elementary school on an iPad. It's different. We still email and think we're progressive. They do different stuff to communicate that I don't even want to know about. <laughs> we know almost every hymn in the hymnal, and we still call it the new hymnal. <laughs> they don't know hardly any songs in the hymnal, and they didn't even know there was one before it. Organ and piano is normal for us. Guitars are normal for them. And that is what they experience in every worship setting they are in except when they join us for organ and piano. I'm not telling you right or wrong, I'm just telling you reality. What I can't tell you today is exactly what the Forest Lake Church will become over the next 10 years. I just don't know. There's so many possibilities. But I can tell you a few things. Our new investment in the children's wing will increase our effectiveness and attractiveness to families with young children. If it doesn't, we sure wasted a lot of money, right? This, along with our continuing investment in young adult ministries and the work of Pastor Juan, will contribute to a lowering of the average age of the congregation. It's inevitable. This lowering of age will mean more younger people will assume leadership roles, and younger people in leadership roles will mean different decisions than we might have made and result in a different church than we might have thought we wanted. Even the ones that have moved into the new positions of lay leadership, Mark Niemeyer and, and Rob Deiniger, these guys are from a different time. They see the world differently. It's what we do when these changes start to happen that are going to make all the difference. So on those days, what will keep us together? Well, it turns out Captain and Tennille had it right the whole time. And you've got to be a certain age to get that reverence. <laughs> you youngsters can look this up later. What is it that will keep us together? Love. Love will keep us together. Google that. You'll love that song. It's a great one. We must love and trust them 
and they must love and trust us. Well, who's them and who's us? I guess each one of you knows who them and us is, don't you? Because we each have a them and an us. It's true for everybody. You see, times of transition create new orthodoxies. We must not allow ourselves to be caught in an old orthodoxy in a time of transition. We have this idea in Adventism called present truth, but sometimes we've gotten caught in this idea to say present truth is everything we've thought before, plus we keep adding pieces to it. Okay, no, that's not what that means. Present truth is not just additional truth. It's not just theology. But present truth means staying present with the moving of the Holy Spirit into new understandings, new expressions, and new decisions about new ways of being. The Spirit we reveal and the way we make these decisions is far more important than any of the decisions we make. Why would I say that? Well, it's not that bad decisions aren't kind of harmful, but here's the reality. We can undo a bad decision. We can go to board, we can vote something stupid, and the next time we meet, we can unvote that thing, right? But what we can't undo is ungodly process. If we handle things in an ungodly manner, we do so much harm, even if we think we got it right. We will destroy each other in the process. Process is so much more important than decisions. Decisions can change. The divine indication that we belong to Jesus will not be found in the infallibility of the decisions we make, but rather in the spirit in which we decide. Jesus said, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. How will they know we're his disciples? Well, it won't be because we always made the right decision. Okay? It's okay to get it wrong every now and then. We just go back and fix it. It won't be because we're so orthodox. It won't be because we never go down a dead-end road. No, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Older brother for younger brother love. Younger brother for older brother. Love for lost sheep. Love for lost coins. Love for prodigals. Love for unreconstructed older brothers. You know the ones, they hate everything. Love them too. All the farm belongs to the older brothers. Everything the father had was his. But he was upset, if you remember the story, he was upset because his father never threw a party for him. But in this, the older brother missed the biggest point of all. When you are the one to whom everything belongs, you don't get parties thrown for you. You throw the parties. The older brother could have had a party every day. He owned it all. Mature older brothers don't get parties thrown for them. Mature older brothers seek out people for whom they can throw a party. 
That's how they show love. So we're coming into a new day at the Forest Lake Church. We've got new leaders. We've got new ideas. We've got new approaches. Will we choose to love each other and trust each other? Remember the list in 1 Corinthians 13? Love always trusts, always hopes. Here's what I want to tell you. Nobody wants to destroy the church. You ever seen that happen when, when you're, you're, you're having a discussion and, it, and it's going the way you don't want it to go and you just go off with your friends and say, they just want to ruin everything. Nobody wants to ruin everything. Everybody's just trying to figure this out. We're trying to follow the Holy Spirit in this day. Can we believe that of each other? Even if sometimes we get it wrong? Can we keep from being the I told you so, brother? So we've had a little saying we've been saying here last year and this year. We say, these are the people I love. All right, so I want you to do that again today. I want you to turn your head and look around, and you've got to do it. I, I can tell you're not doing it, so do it. I can see you. All right, look around, all around. Up in the balcony, look around. You're not off the hook. You're going to be down here with these people before you know it. Look around you. These are the people God has given us in this place at this time. Can we forge a path to the future that keeps the family together? That's the goal. These are the people I love. I want you to say it with me. You ready? These are the people I love, and I am so not convinced by that. Let's try again. These are the people I love. Well done. Will you commit with me today to love one another? To love the people you love? As we go through the challenges and the changes the next 10 years will bring, if you're an older member, will you look at a younger member more as a son or a daughter instead of as somebody threatening your existence? If you're a younger member, will you look at an older member as a respected person who has stood faithfully for years on the line and might actually know what they're talking about? Can we do that? Can we respect the men? Can we respect the women? Can we listen to all the voices? You got handed hearts, or at least one, Last year we did this and we asked you to write names on them of people that you love and we hung them up and it was all sweetness and goodness. We're going to go a little different with it this year. This year I want you to write on it the name of someone that it's hard for you to love. You probably saw them when you looked around. And they may be close to you so you may want to cover it as you're writing. What I want you to do is write those names. I took the liberty of writing my name on a few for you already, so you have that. No, I didn't do that. What you want to do is take those names and keep it with you. And you want to pray for that person. Because something amazing happens when you pray for someone you have a hard time loving. God does a work in your heart. 
and God does a work in their heart. And sometimes a relationship is healed just because you prayed. I had this experience at seminary. There was a, a couple times in class, there were these guys in class that used to drive me out of my mind. They would ask the stupidest questions. And I would think, really? You're going to waste our time? And I would build up this animosity in my heart towards this person I don't even know. And, it, and so one day it came upon me that I needed to pray for them. And, and my first prayer was something like, God, please help that idiot to stay quiet. That was about all I could do. But as I went along, the Lord worked on my heart until finally it became, Lord, help my brother to understand. And finally it became, oh, Lord, he's so fun. I like that guy. And he didn't even know. But every time that would happen without fail before the class was over, that person that I had despised in my heart early on would come up to me before the class was over and say, hey, I've really appreciated being in class with you. I really wanted to get to know you. God will work a miracle. So write on that thing somebody that's hard for you to love or somebody's. And if your list is like 20, maybe it's you. Just think it through. <laughs> but write on there. We'll give you about a minute here to write and then Justin's going to sing. If any of you are proper children of the 70s, you know we're singing this wrong, right? You cannot sit there and sing this song. Some of you younger ones don't even really know this song, but, but this one's from back in the days. And there's only one way to sing this song, right? You have to stand up, right? Stand on up. I'm waiting on you. There you go. And then what do you do? You gotta hold hands, don't you? That's how this song works. All right, don't even be afraid to cross the aisle. I mean, that's what this song is about, okay? So now I'm gonna come over here because I tried to hold one of Justin's hands earlier and it didn't work out very well. So, so I'm just gonna put my hand on his shoulder and we're gonna sing the next two verses of this song and we're gonna mean it and if we will live this, then we will make it through this time together. Let's sing it. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. 
together we'll spread the news that God is in our land and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our love we will work with each other we will work side by side pray. Father in heaven, look upon us. We are your people in this day. We're not your people a hundred years ago. We're not your people a hundred years from now. We are your people right now. And we want to do everything we can to fulfill our purposes. We want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We want to help the found stay found. And we want to join Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. We want to do it together, and we want to do it with a spirit that will honor heaven and that will cause those around us to say, truly the Lord is with you. I can see it in the way you love one another. That will require the presence of your spirit in our lives, Lord. So we open ourselves to you. We lay everything on the altar. And we ask for you to show us the way. And Lord, I ask that you would bless these people and keep them. That you would make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. That you would lift up your countenance on them and give them peace. Amen.